today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. We got situations at home. We got situations with health. We got situations with finances. We got stuff that goes on. We need to get to a place and a point that when we walk into these doors, we sing, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all in order that we might be able to enter into worship and that we don't get distracted because someone over here is clapping offbeat and they ought to be on beat or on beat and they ought to be offbeat or they've got their hands and they're waving. We just need to be people that say, you know what? I want to enter into worship. I don't want anything to distract me at all. Oftentimes, when we arrive at church, we're in a rush and aggravated about something. Then we try to get into worship and wouldn't you know it, so-and-so is doing their usual clapping offbeat. Satan attacks us on Sunday mornings He will make anything that can go wrong happen. Pastor David wants to remind us to take a deep breath and remember who we serve. Entering into worship is a choice. No matter what's happening around us, our connection time with the Lord is up to us alone. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 4 with today's edition of The Open Word. It was the same kind of thing when we look at the thunders and the lightnings, everything that John is seeing at that throne. It's the same kind of thing that the glory of God filled the tabernacle of meeting. In Exodus chapter 40, we read in verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses wasn't even able to enter the tabernacle of the meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That had to be some awesome worship, folks, to experience. I can't help but go back to the children of Israel there at the bottom of Mount Sinai. God for them was awful and fearful. Because they hadn't really gained that relationship of absolute trust in the greatness of who he is. How many of you ride horses here? Anybody in here ride horses? A a few, couple, okay. Not too many willing to admit that they do. One of the things I know about horses is they're a lot stronger than I am. And that horse could probably do anything that it wants to do at any time. But yet, when you can put a little five- or six-year-old on that horse, and they're just so gentle with it, so gentle with it. Not that we control God. Don't take the illustration too far down the road, okay? What I see the illustration is, is the greatness and the might and the power of Almighty God. We could be fearful of it, or we could understand what fear of the Lord is really about, that 
in the greatness of his majesty, man, I just need to surrender my life to him. Not because I'm afraid he's going to smack me every time I turn around, but just because of the greatness of his majesty, the wonder and the splendor of who he is. And the fact that, yes, he got the whole world in his hands, absolutely, but much more than that. He's got all of his creation under his control, both macro as well as micro. He controls his creation. They were fearful of it. Moses experienced the greatness of it. Solomon, when he prayed for the temple dedication in Second Chronicles chapter 7, it says that when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Wouldn't it be amazing some Sunday if we came here and we couldn't get in the door because God showed up long before we did? I just get excited when God shows up when we're worshiping. He just shows up in my life and just kind of suddenly allows me to get outside of myself and get outside of worrying, okay, do I have all my points? What happens if I miss that? Did I remember to do that? What's wrong with Miss So-and-so? She didn't look too good today. Oh, I hear they're, you know, fighting. They're struggling over there. Oh, I heard the bad news on so. That stuff goes through my head, okay? That's why I need to have worship in the morning. That's why I just need to allow worship to happen. There was a conversation going on in the foyer just before the service started. And I came up to Robert and the other one that he was talking to. Robert said, no, let's not talk to him about that right now. The service is about ready to start. I said, thank you, Robert. Don't know what it is, but thank you. Okay. We need to be able to get to the point. It's not just me. It's you too, isn't it? We come in, we've got the weight of the world on our shoulders. We got situations at home. We got situations with health. We got situations with finances. We got stuff that goes on. We need to get to a place and a point that when we walk into these doors, we sing, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all in order that we might be able to enter into worship and that we don't get distracted because someone over here is clapping offbeat and they ought to be on beat or on beat and they ought to be offbeat or they've got their hands and they're waving. We just need to be people that say, you know what? I want to enter into worship. I don't want anything to distract me at all. The very thing that John is experiencing here when he says from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. He says there's also seven lamps of fire and they're, they're burning before the throne. These are the seven spirits of God. Now no doubt these are representative of the Holy Spirit. We see a very similar phrase all throughout the opening chapters of Revelation. And when you also consider that the number seven is the number of completeness, it represents again just the fullness and the completeness of the work of the Holy Spirit. Warren Wiersbe brings out the fact that During the church age, the age we're living in right now, this age of grace, the Holy Spirit is represented by a dove. But you know what? Once the church is removed, the Holy Spirit is then represented as a judgment fire. That's a powerful, powerful thing. These seven flames burning before the throne. 
So we now move into a much more difficult vision to understand, a lot more difficult to interpret, and that's the four beasts. Okay, He says in verse 6, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures each had six wings and were full of eyes around and within. And they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. First of all, we see this glass, this sea of glass like crystal. And again, uh, apparently it's either transparent in appearance, either perfectly clear, perfectly flat. Again, we, we look at that and we can speak again about just the beauty of it, the, the splendor of all that he's seeing, the purity of the place. All of these things, I think, go into play without any imperfections at all, and it is a reflection of the light of God's glory. As you know, again, in my house just the other morning, we had the fan on in the living room, and just as the sun was coming through, we had a window on the east side of the house, and so as the sun was rising, it was going through the window, and then we have tile floor. Well, it was going through that high window, uh, kind of through the fan blade, onto the tile floor, and it's got like this stroboscopic kind of, uh, you know, look to it. Just the reflection of it. And I, I think of this crystal sea that's right there, just beauty, just the splendor of God reflecting on that. And then, man, it's just lighting up the whole place, just the might and the power of it all. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the throne and around the throne, these four living creatures full of eyes in front, and in back. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you ought to flash back to Ezekiel, because Ezekiel saw a very similar vision, not an exact vision, but a very similar. And again, as we look at that in the book of Ezekiel, I'm going to invite you to turn back there. Keep your place in Revelation. Go to the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel. And it's chapter 1. It's right at the very beginning. In Ezekiel chapter 1, and we'll drop down to verse 4. He says, Then I looked, and behold... A whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. And brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Here's where we start seeing some difference. Each one had four faces. And each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burns bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides. And each of the four had faces and wings. And their wings touched each other, and the creatures did not turn when they went, but each went straight forward. And as for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. 
And each of the four had the face of an eagle, apparently on the back side. So you got the man on the front side, you've got the lion on the right side, you've got the ox on the left side, and the eagle on the back. So again, one might be tempted to say, well, John is just kind of copying what Ezekiel wrote. But it's nowhere that he can. If he were copying it, hopefully he would have done a lot better job copying it. I think what's going on again here is, again, when you compare them side by side, there's a lot of discrepancy, but there's a lot of similarity. Ezekiel saw four living creatures. John saw four. In Ezekiel, they had four wings. In John's revelation, they had six wings. In Ezekiel, they had four faces. But in John, no, each one of the creatures had a different face. In John's revelation, each were full of eyes on the front and the back. If we kept reading in Ezekiel, we find out that the rims of the wheels that were next to them, they had eyes throughout the whole rims of the wheels. In Ezekiel, the faces were a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. In John's revelation, it was a lion, a calf, which could also be an ox, The third was a face of a man, and the fourth was a face of an eagle. So the faces are the same. There's four creatures that are the same. They're full of eyes that are all the same. And then beyond that, there's some discrepancies. So does that invalidate one or the other? No. If John were simply copying Ezekiel's vision, he could have got it exact. But both of these men, I believe, were, again, trying to describe a heavenly scene to earthly minds. You're trying to explain something that is totally out of this world to people who are totally grounded in this world. So what does the vision mean? How are we to interpret it? Some say that that it represents the attributes of God. The wings represent God's uh, omnipresence. The wings, they can be anywhere, everywhere at the same time. The eyes represent his omniscience. He's all-knowing. He can see everything. The faces represent various other attributes. The, the lion would be his majesty and his power. The ox would be, again, his patience and his labor serving. The uh, wisdom would be the face of the man, although I would really argue with that one quite a bit. The the supremeness of his sovereignty being the eagle. Others say that they represent the declaration of the person of Christ as demonstrated through the four different Gospels, that Matthew speaks about the lion of the tribe of Judah, that Mark speaks about the ox or the faithful servant of God. Luke, as we're in right now, speaking about the incarnate human, the son of man, and John, the eagle, speaking about the divinity of Christ. Well, maybe, just take this for course, if you will, maybe they, these four creatures represent all of God's living creatures. The creation that he created, humanity as well as animals and all. Particularly when you see these living creatures bowing down and they worship the Lord. What does it say there back in Revelation in verse 8? It says they don't rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So my question would be, if it was demonstrating the attributes of God, do the attributes of God fall down before him and worship him? No, that just doesn't make sense. Would the representations of the gospel records necessarily bow down and worship God? Well, 
maybe it's a possibility, but really just the declaration of the gospel is a form of worship. That's why I think, for me, it's really clearly that all of creation, as the word says, all of creation is going to bow down before him. They're going to worship him. As a matter of fact, it tells us that they do not rest day or night, I believe, as the creation continually proclaims the majesty of the Lord, constantly bringing glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. It's interesting as we move on there, it says, and they continue their service of worship or their worship service before the Lord. John tells us that the elders then, they continually get caught up in the action. Look what it says in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, okay, the living creatures, that's the four living creatures, the ones who are saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, how often do they do that? They do not rest. They do it day and night. Okay, so bear that in mind, because whenever, in verse 9 it says, whenever they do that, and give thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then in verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. It's like when you have a, a really spirit-filled worship service, and literally you get caught up in it. You might have come in that night or that morning in trouble of spirit or soul, and man, you, you just feel, you experience the movement of God in the place, and you just can't help but worship. If you are a child of God, you just can't help but enter in. We're drawn into worship many times by the worship of others. I don't know what any of y'all's personal prayer life is like. I don't even know what your personal worship life is like. But I believe that if we polled the congregation tonight, we would each agree that the Lord deserves our praise. Amen? I believe that we would each agree that the Lord deserves our praise. Amen? It's a little better. I believe that we would agree that the Lord deserves our praise. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. Thank you. I believe that we would also agree that the Lord deserves our worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Created a monster. Yes. Sometimes you might get tired of standing in worship. Then sit down. Sometimes we might be sitting in worship. And I know some churches... You know, they say, whoa, hey, this is sit-down time. We don't stand up during this time. I know there's some churches like that, okay? Some of my friends have churches like that. If you're sitting and you want to stand, stand in worship. We ought to be people who have a freedom to worship. I won't say their names, but there's a couple that's very involved here. He's a big guy. She's got a lot of energy. They came out of LDS, but I'm not going to call their names out. 
Well, when they got saved out of Mormonism, said we were so used to worship services where you just sang, and it was either a piano or an organ or whatever that played the music. That was it. You just sang what was on the page, and that was it, and then you sat down. When they said stand up, you stood up, sit down, you'd sit down. said when we got saved and started going to churches that worshipped, it was really distracting for them. As a matter of fact, it almost seemed like it was a show, and it wasn't honoring the Lord, because these people were in there clapping and all this kind of stuff. They said, but you know what? The longer we continued listening and connecting with it, we started understanding what worship really is. Beloved, don't ever let worship be reading the words whether it be in a hymnal or a book or a bulletin or on the wall. Don't let your worship just be that. Our worship needs to come from, man, from the depths of everything that we are. But pastor, I don't feel like worshiping tonight. Then you need to worship probably more than anybody else. And you need to release that more than anybody else. But you don't know what I'm going through, so that's when we give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord in whatever we're singing. Or maybe you can't sing right now, and maybe you just got to enter into worship of him just between you and him and allow him to minister to your heart. Do you see the picture here? The elders, I mean the elders, are sitting on their throne. And then these four living creatures, they start this worship service. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then suddenly they're overwhelmed and they got to get off their throne. And the elders, man, they fall down. They fall down. <laughs> kind of like me, yeah. It happens. They fall down. They get off the throne. They fall down before the one who sits on the throne. They fall down before him. And they enter into worship also. I don't believe that they could help but worship. Even if they've earned a position of being where they were, they get off of that and they fall down before the Almighty. And it also says that even though they might have won the right to wear the Stephanos, the victor's crown, what do they do with it? They take and say, man, here, I, I give that to you because I know I could never do it on my own. I can't walk this Christian life on my own. I can't be victorious on my own. The only reason I got this crown, Lord, is because you worked in my life for me to be able to do any and all of it. And they worship him and they declare, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation 4, 11. The words have been here for a long time, but somebody wrote a tune to that. Way back in 1962, okay? I know some of you weren't even born then. Neither was I, but I heard this story. Okay. Yeah, I know. I strength in. It's one of those original kind of Jesus movement songs. Just the scripture that they put to music. I can remember singing. I can remember singing and just worshiping to just the words of that song. I've got the words for you here. Thou art worthy. 
Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we know you'll want to come back for more. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen back through other teachings, you can find them all at theopenword.com under the Teachings tab. We hope today's message has touched your heart, settled some questions you've had, and maybe even caused you to ask a dozen more. If you do have questions, we'd love to do all we can to answer them. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd love to pray for you, too, and learn more about your journey of faith. Once again, that number is 520-836-9676. We believe that God has given us the church so that we can learn more about Him and about living together in community. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Thanks for listening to The Open Word. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church home, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand welcome you to our community of believers here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet weekly on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. You'll be able to find out more about us and get directions by visiting theopenword.com. And under the links at the bottom of the page, click on Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But join us to learn more from the pages of Revelation right here on The Open Word.